and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, although it isn't. This week we introduce the first photographic conversation. It's the beginning of a monthly podcast episode that's going to feature a conversation between myself and Bill Shapiro. You just heard some music there, which is our new theme tune for the conversation. I've stolen it from the great Dick Cavett show, the American talk show that featured such incredible people as Groucho Marx, Orson Welles, Ingmar Bergman, uh, Marlon Brando, John Lennon, and on and on and on. What I loved about the Dick Cavett show, and you can see them all now on YouTube, and I recommend that you do, was that many of the episodes would run for 90 minutes of conversation, free-flowing, sometimes controversial, hopefully always intellectually challenging. And that's the plan for this conversation with Bill Shapiro, which, as I say, will take place every month. It may change in format, but the people will always stay the same. So sit back, get yourself a coffee or a drink and listen to Bill and I just shooting the breeze. So Bill, thanks very much for joining us for, for this first conversation. Um, always a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it, Grant. Well, I think it's going to be interesting because uh, I'm uh, in England and you're in uh, New Mexico, I understand. Yes, just just moved here recently, so it's a whole new a whole new perspective. Well, but maybe we'll bring that to the podcast as well. Whoever knows. Okay, so as always, we exchanged some emails, we threw some stuff around, we kind of see what sticks. As always, we seem to uh, come together on a few points. But one of the key points, I think, um, which I found really interesting and you'd also been thinking about was this idea of gatekeepers. I think that's great. I think it's something that that people really want to know more about what gatekeepers are thinking about, what's their changing, you know, where, where are they today? What's changed and also how to approach them. Yeah, I suppose in a way, in in the past, you and I would have been traditional gatekeepers, um, although those that term was never used at that time. Right, but, but, yeah, but you're you're exactly right. We 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 were, you know, as magazine editors or or creative directors, and you know, certainly in your case, um, we were the people who decided who who's in the magazine, who gets seen by millions of people, and who doesn't. Which is something I always took um, morally. For me, it was a real moral um, consideration. I thought about it very seriously. But I wonder now, I suppose in a way, we're informal gatekeepers now. I hate the phrase, but do you kind of see yourself in that way? Well, in in that, you know, I'm not deciding who gets pages in a magazine, but I am deciding perhaps who I will help or who I will connect with somebody who is in a, a formal gatekeeper position, who I will spend time um, advising, maybe whose book project I will take to help them. So in, in some way, yes. But I guess you still take it as as, mu as much of a moral kind of a process as, as you did previously. Well, let me ask you what you mean by by moral, because as usual, you're probably more thoughtful than I am. <laughs> That's definitely not the case. I say, uh, moral from a moral perspective, for me, it was always really important to understand that when I gave somebody work, I was actually in, actually allowing them to pay their food bills. 
I was actually allowing them to live a life. You know, on the back of that work I was giving them, that person was able to buy a car or pay for their kids or whatever. So I, I was that's what that was my moral kind of judgment on that. I, I didn't I I never felt that it was a, a cold, hard decision. And I and I never took it flippantly. I, I took a lot a lot of time and effort and getting to know the people. And that's why I would always see everybody. I would never reject anybody to come to see me because, you know, it's their life. Well, okay. Um, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't have put the word moral next to it. Maybe I would have used um, sensitive or, or empathic, but, but I, but I totally hear what you're saying and, and agree. And yet I do feel like there is only so much time in the day and there are a million decisions that need to be made. And I'm guilty of sometimes making quick decisions. I look for certain cues or um, to let me know if this is something I should spend a lot of time on a medium amount of time on or a little time on. So you and I are both doing that for free. You know, we're doing that out of the the good of our hearts, you know, but who are the new gatekeepers who are actually being employed and paid a salary to look at that work? I know I, I've got some ideas, but what, but what are your, your ideas about those gatekeepers? Well, certainly um, the folks who uh, give gallery shows, uh, gallery curators, um, those in, in museums who are, I think, both looking at work that's coming in, um, but also coming up with their own conceptions for what a successful museum show would be. And, you know, there are still a few magazine and website editors or photo editors who are, who are making assignments who are, or letting photos in uh, people who are making decisions about photo books. Which I think of, this is where the big difference is from my perspective. And, you know, as we are an across the pond conversation, you know, the U.S. environment, I feel, is very different to the U.K. environment. From a U.K. perspective, I wouldn't expect photographers to be thinking about museum curators as as a first port of call. Yeah, maybe gallery people, book publishers here. It's really difficult to get any kind of positive response from an established publisher. Um, And therefore, we've got this kind of big growth in independent and uh, personal publishing, self-publishing of work. Um, And the magazines, uh, the editorial environment is very, very reduced. It's very different, I think, here to there. But yeah, and yet there are still these gatekeepers out there who I feel are not as busy as you think they are. <laughs> what? No, tell me why you say that. Because I think you're really busy if you're working in a hospital A&E department, but I don't think you're that busy at all seeing that much photography or getting that engaged with what's going on um, if you're working in a gallery environment, a museum environment, or a book publishers. You and I both come from weekly, monthly magazines when we were busy. And yet, my door was always open to photographers because it wasn't actually that busy. I could always spare 10 minutes. I could spare 10 minutes, but not 10 minutes times 50. You know, um, the the photo editor that I worked with at Life, uh, the great George Pitts, after we would close the week's issue, 
he would work late, late, late into the night um, reviewing all the portfolios that came in. And he was really dedicated to doing that. And I remember walking by his office going, good God, man, how do you do it? Um, because I personally, just speaking for me, don't have the capacity to look at everything that comes in. And I do have to make, uh, find myself making, just being honest here, having to make decisions and some things cross the bar, um, and some things don't. But isn't it interesting? You referred to him as the great. He was the great. Yes. I mean, I, I wish I wish I had his capacity. I, I, I mean, I, I find it a fault in myself that I couldn't give, give, give like like George Pitts did. I suppose in a way I, I, I was similar to, to that kind of approach. But maybe what we're talking about here also is just how passionate are the gatekeepers about photography? And how willing are those gatekeepers to really encourage and take on work that maybe they don't understand or maybe doesn't fit into a contemporary aesthetic? Or or are those gatekeepers looking for kind of repetition of of what they've seen before? Well, so I'm really interested in the repetition question, and I want to get to that in one second. Um, and dive deeper there. But I do have one question for you, um, Grant. If you're reading a book and the first 30 pages don't interest you, do you finish the book? I'm not talking about a photo book. I'm talking about a novel or, or whatever. Do you finish the book? No, and I probably, I'm, I'm probably far worse than that. And not even get to, the, not, get, not get to 30. I think 30, you're being rather generous. I am. Um, I just wanted to see where you would land. Um. <laughs> you know, I want to be here immediately. But it, it's really interesting that you bring that metaphor of book because, you know, the, the standing joke a few years ago was, you know, if you want to get a book deal, whatever you do, and it's, I think it's still the case, but if you want to get a book deal, the worst thing you can ever say is, I've got this idea for a book no one's ever done it what you want to do is you want to go in there and say listen i've got this idea for a book it's about this kid he's a kind of a wizard he goes to this school and he's got all these friends and everyone's like well yeah that's great harry potter sold so why shouldn't we have another harry potter and my feeling is that with the gatekeepers if they're not super passionate if if they they're not making that commitment to the medium to progress the medium what they're doing is that they're kind of creating a a status a status whereby the same work gets created because people think that's what they want to see so if we can talk about instagram for one second and i want to talk about um a very concrete example of this so there are those photos um of people you know maybe walking down the street in a crowd with a red umbrella and those pictures, or, or maybe there's like a deep cut shadow, um, those pictures seem to get a lot of likes. And so I think what I tend to see is people who chase the likes, um, then they go out and they look for people with red umbrellas. And that's why you see the same sort of picture again and again and again. And I think when it comes to books, talking about the, the Harry Potter instance you just gave, I think editors at big book companies are looking for people with large social media followings who have their own quote unquote brand who then can help them with frankly distribution and sales. Because if I have 2 million followers, some percentage of those people will buy the book by going after people with established brands who have probably an established aesthetic or an accepted aesthetic. 
you do get into the place that you're talking about where things start to look the same and where people try to emulate people who have those big followings. The reality of that, and I think you're absolutely right, and we're on the same page, but you know, if we're talking about, and, and, and this is the problem, I think, for photographers now, is this idea that, you know, the social media following is why you're going to get chosen. The brand is why you're going to get chosen. You've already got your own audience. So, you know, what are the, what's the publisher actually going to do? What are they going to bring to the party? Or, you know, what's the gallery going to bring to the party? And we've all been through those situations of producing books. And then, I mean, I've I've filled out forms. I've got a book idea. You take it to a book publisher, right? What's your social media following is one of the questions they ask. Are we saying that the gatekeepers have very little interest in photography? I think the gatekeepers have interest in photography that they think will sell. Um, do they have interest in pure photography? You know, I think it depends on the on the on the gatekeeper. When you're talking about book publishers at, at, at a certain level, you know, they're on super tight budgets now and they and they want to make sure something sells. I don't think they're into experimentation. So on that basis, surely the, the photographer shouldn't be wasting time with those museum curators, with those book publishers. What they should be doing is thinking about how can I work and avoid those gatekeepers. Don't try and please those gatekeepers. Well, I wouldn't try to please them. I wouldn't try to give them what they want, but but I also wouldn't ignore them um, because I think there's this thing about planting seeds. So, you know, you send something to to uh, a curator who, you know, maybe they look at it now for a little bit, but maybe when you send them something in a year or another year after that, um, something clicks for them and, and, and it stays in their memory and, and they can kind of say to themselves, oh, I remember when, you know, she was shooting like this and now she's progressed and she's shooting this. And, and so I wouldn't blow them off entirely, but, but I wouldn't, you know, throw all your hopes and dreams um, onto a particular, you know, curator in that situation. Yeah. So basically don't have too much, um, put too much hope or pressure on yourself to try and get a positive reaction from these people. But we, we, were, we were talking uh, previously before this conversation about how you approach the gatekeepers. And you saw something on Instagram, which you found particularly interesting, which you shared with me. Do you want to just kind of um, outline what that was? Well, it was um, uh, a curator um, doing a, a, a quick video talking about how how not to approach her. Don't approach her, you know, by sending 30 JPEGs and a long write up about, um, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. She was saying, arguing for more of a quote unquote elevator pitch, send me a few great pictures. And in a couple sentences, tell me what you're after. And then there was a response to that from um, a curator named David Campany, who's very well regarded and who is constantly curating terrific shows at um, ICP in New York. And David said, bah, hogwash, show me everything. I want to see it all. Send me all your JPEGs. They don't have to be JPEGs. Send me anything. Send me your finger paintings. Um, and, and, and he said, I hate the term elevator pitch. It sounds you know, like a, something out of Hollywood express to me what you want to express. And you don't have to have it in two sentences because he said today, when I look at art, I can almost see the elevator pitch behind it. And he found that uh, kind of repulsive. 
So what was your response to it? Who did you side with? Um, as much as I, again, respect what um, uh, David was saying in this um, moment, and he reminded me of the great George Pitts in his ability to uh, take everything in. I actually sided with the, the curator um, who was like, make it short, make it sweet. Show me, show me what's show me the highlight. And the reason for that grant is because I think a photographer or a writer should know how to communicate their idea crisply and thoughtfully. I want them to put some thought into their pitch and some and show some restraint and some care instead of just kitchen sinking it and sending me everything they have and and a long, long blah, blah. Because the truth is, my attention span is short. When I see something, I know I like. I mean, if if I see something I like, it doesn't take me 30 pictures um, to know that. I I can look at three pictures and go like, oh, that's actually intriguing. Show me more. And I'll ask you for more if I see it. You know, and I went the other way. I, I, I was all behind David. And I found the the uh, in agreement with David. I found the elevator pitch thing, and please don't take this badly. Very American and yes. very and very corporate. Um, yes, I found that approach that she adopted, and and it was like a little film, wasn't it? She put up, which was good. It was because you got a sense of her voice as well, which is always um, good. And, and her name is Carrie Scott, by the way, and she's got an she's got an Instagram feed, so and folks can go look at that. That's great. So the the problem for me was that I just felt it was all about her. And I thought David was all about the photographer. And I think what you were saying about George there, George and David share this kind of passion. And David's always working on more and more and more projects. He's always putting stuff up on Instagram. He's writing books. He's doing exhibitions. That passion and that enthusiasm really resonates with me. And I think that's about the photographer, because I'm the same. I would say the same. Send me anything. Send me everything. I don't know what I want to see. And I like it like that. Mm -hmm. I just know that when I see it, it works. And quite often, I think people say on this podcast, oh, you know, you're just choosing photographers to be on the podcast you like. I don't. There's a huge amount of the work on the podcast and photographers who I've got no interest in their work at all, but I've got real interest in who they are and where that work comes from. I think that's great. And that's one of the reasons why um, I I tune in religiously um, to your podcast, really, because it's a a wide variety of people and perspectives and, and, and work. And I can be quickly engaged by work that doesn't necessarily speak to my aesthetic, but that I think is thoughtful and interesting or provocative in some way. But what I'm saying is it doesn't take me 30, 40, 50 images to know that. I like for people, and and maybe this is more corporate, um, maybe this is more American, I plead guilty, but I want to be able to see a lot of people's stuff. I want to I want to I want to have time to look at, you know, 30 submissions a day if they come. And if the second person hits me with a gigantic file that takes me 10 minutes to download via WeTransfer and a whole big thing to read, that means I can't really I won't have time to look at the last five people on the list. So I guess what I'm saying is I would hope that the photographer is 
respectful of my time, respectful of the other uh, photographers whose work I want to look at, and ultimately respectful of your of yourself. Because don't you want to be able to communicate what it is that your vision is? And, and, and I would hope the answer is yes. I think, yeah, I mean, I'm completely with that. But I suppose where I am with this is I, I'm getting a sense that the gatekeeper feels as if they're setting these rules of engagement which are based on the fact that they're too busy, they're looking for this, they've got set agendas, they're looking for specific work that looks like other work because that's proven to be successful. However, I don't see that's the role of a gatekeeper. I believe a gatekeeper should be there to open the gate, not to keep it closed only to those who've got the special key that only the gatekeeper knows is the special key. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And I'm, I'm pointing to the giant key that's hanging behind me, an old, an old trade sign in my, well, in my office. Well, that's the key, you see. That's it. You're proving my point. I think what you're assuming when you say that is that the gatekeeper is looking for something repetitive, something that they know will will work um, and maybe will reflect well on them. You know, in my position as a, as a quite unofficial gatekeeper, because I'm not letting anybody into a magazine anymore, I, I don't really care if it's going to be successful. Like if I see their work and it moves me in some way, um, I want to help that person. I really do. And, and you know, you know, I do uh, uh, usually every Friday Instagram post called meet this photographer. And, you know, seven times out of 10, that's a photographer that people haven't heard of that I've just sort of found in my um, deep dives into Instagram, um, be, you know, because I love exposing new photographers or, or unseen talent to a wider audience. But I think that, you know, we're talking from our perspective here, but do you agree with me that we have got to a point whereby there is a bit of a cabal of these gatekeepers which are kind of controlling the photography that is being perceived as being important and therefore this homogenization of photography um and i can i personally i can see a uk kind of type of work and i can see a us kind of work and I can see a European kind of work. I mean, I can see very strong schools of work, uh -huh. but but they are all very similar. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the times um, there are certain groups of gallery curators that sort of talk to themselves in a way and cure and themselves. I mean, the group of them call it a cabal or, or you know, whether it's uh, organized or not, they're curating for the other curators, you know, and sometimes I, I believe they are, you know, writing the introduction on the wall to the work for other curators, not necessarily for for viewers. And I think that's that's always a problem. You know, when you're when you're making magazine stories to appeal to other magazine editors, I think uh, I, th I think you've got a problem. And when you're doing that with photographers, I think you're you've got a problem as well. Well, I completely agree with you because I think perhaps we're in a situation with too many photographers, too few curators, and the curators are more interested in their career development than that of the photographer. 
I think that's a really, I think that's a really fair point. And I think the fact is there are a lot more photographers and there are more photographers today than there were, you know, when George was spending his, his, uh, you know, nights until midnight looking over portfolios. Uh, you know, I, I, I see it as a gigantic ocean coming, coming towards me. And, and I, I think there are a lot of curators who might feel the same way. D- David um, Kempany apparently doesn't feel that way. He's like, you know, bring on the sea, bring it all on. And I have a lot of respect for him uh, for doing that. But I wonder if that's also because he understands, and I'm being, maybe I'm being very controversial here, but I think he understands what his job is. David works for galleries. Um, If the other curator is, you know, maybe curating for, and I'm totally making this up because I have no idea what I'm talking about, um, corporate clients, uh, or individual clients for people's homes, you know, that, that's sort of a different, um, a different pathway. You know, abs- yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I think that's more kind of towards a, a sense of kind of retail. It, it reminds me of that terrible criticism of Rothko's paintings, that they're, that they're just um, wallpaper for people with money. Right. You know, and, and that idea of that, I suppose really what it what it boils down to is we're using this word curator quite a lot. And I think it's quite a difficult word to actually define what that means because it can have so many connotations. An awful lot of people seem to be calling themselves curators at the moment. Curating is choosing. Um, right. Uh, curating is editing. I mean, I think part of the problem is the word curator, um, you know, has kind of become as popular as storyteller. Um, and there are, there are many more storytellers today than there were five or 10 years ago. And I think curator and curation has, has suffered a bit of the same bloat. Yeah, I agree. And I, but I also think, I, I mean, I've started to see recently, and I think these, these three things are connected on a number of websites. I've started to see photographers describing themselves as research driven. Tell me what that means. Well, I'm not totally sure, but. I've got a theory, having looked at the work that's describing itself in that way, that there's a sort of theoretical, academic, perhaps contemporary art practice idea of this, the writing of of a premise and fulfilling that premise through research. And then that then presumably then drives the images that are made, um, which is fine. I mean, you know, I'm not dismissing it, but I'm just observing it. And I'm starting to think, okay, well, a curator will like the idea of research driven because, you know, that's not just going out and pressing a button. That's more to it. So it's interesting when you said the word research driven, the first thing that went to my mind was I'm some, uh, you know, as a photographer who's research driven, they're not just going out and taking pretty pictures. They're researching the population or the subculture that they're shooting. They're spending a lot of time with them. They're um, reading and conducting lots of interviews. And it's 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 more than, um, quote unquote, simply making a picture, holding up the camera that they're really trying to get a, a lot of background to inform the picture making. So I don't know who's right. Well, it just seems to me as if it's it's almost like a, a desperate um, 
desire to provide a sense of value for money. That yes. you're not just getting the photograph, but look what I've been doing. You look, I've I've been reading books and I've I, and I've yes. I've been going internally and and yeah, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But I, I think what um, for me is it's playing to a similar audience, and and this is what I'm and this is what I'm kind of I suppose struggling with at the moment is trying to see work which is coming from a purely photographic perspective that feels confident in that. And I know that there are a number of photographers you've had on your Friday Instagram, which I also love, which I've then asked to come on the podcast after I've seen you featuring them. And I think you're great at that. And you seem to be finding those people. I'm trying to find those people. My question, I suppose, is are the gatekeepers trying to find those people or are the gatekeepers kind of very close-minded to those people. I mean, I guess when we, and you hinted at this earlier, when we talk about gatekeepers or curators as a mass, you know, it's the kind of thing when people say, oh yeah, mainstream media, they all do this. And it's like, well, no, they don't. The mainstream media, and I know because I've been it, we we don't talk to each other. We don't decide amongst, you know, 10 editors of different newspapers or magazines what we as a class are going to do. Um, nobody has time for that. Everybody's making the decisions and you know that 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 they're making, and and maybe they're guided by the same, you know, fear of being fired or fear of losing advertising or or fear of you know, whatever, but they're not like working in cahoots. So I think that, that there are market forces or intellectual forces or other trends that are having an impact on gatekeepers, some gatekeepers in the same way, but I don't think that they're working in a lockstep for any single reason or religion. But there is always a zeitgeist. There's a zeitgeist, of course. You know, there's always that zeitgeist out there, isn't there? There's that yes. kind of dominant aesthetic. Yes. Which people feel they need to buy into. Yes. And that's difficult for a photographer, particularly a photographer who wants to be on the outside. They really need someone to give them a break and to give them a chance. And and if somebody didn't, if Alexei Brodovich hadn't have done that with all of the photographers he encouraged, if um, John Shostakowsky hadn't done that, you wouldn't have had Arbus or Eggleston or Robert Frank coming through or, you know, the new topographics or whatever. You wouldn't have that. Um, if all the curators and gatekeepers were listening to this um, podcast right now, wh- what would be your your piece of hope or advice for them? Open your door and open your eyes to things you don't understand, things that don't that aren't in fashion, things which um, maybe you know, like David, um, be open to work that maybe you think isn't right or isn't going to make you look cool or it hasn't won the latest competition or that person isn't at those parties or isn't a friend of such and such. All of that for me is really important. I remember um, my wife has met a number of the photographers I've worked with over the years. The constant thing is why did you only work with people who were really awkward or really difficult or really intimidating and I, I was always like, well, because I like them. 
because they were difficult to work with, but the work was great. And because, yeah, they are really intimidating intellectually or um, in their behavior or whatever it may be. But that for me was my role. My role was to try and constantly find new work that challenged people. Well, so I think, you know, maybe we're not going to have curators listening to us and change their mind completely. But 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 maybe the hope would be 10 percent, 15 percent. Look for something that makes you uncomfortable. Look for something that is unexpected in in the work. You feel like the photographer knows him or herself and is coming from a place of of pure vision. And even if that makes you uncomfortable, you know, maybe open the door a crack for those people. Well, yeah. And also don't worry about you looking good. Think about yeah. the think about the photographer looking good. You know, it, it, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, you and I. You know, this isn't about e- this should not be about my ego or your ego at all. All That's we right. are is providing a bridge. We're a conduit to work. And you know, you say it yourself. You know, you say, oh, you know, talk to that person or talk to that person. And I do exactly the same thing. I'm spending my time saying, oh, ring them up and say Grant said, and you know. And and do that because you want to open doors for people. But I, I think that it does leave the photographer in a very difficult position because if they feel they've got to play the game, then they're going to play the game and they're going to play that with the work. If they feel that they're not going to play the game and then they get ignored, then they feel even more kind of embittered and should they play the game? And, you, you know, it's very challenging, I think. I could not agree more and very well said. So maybe what we need to do is we need to put a list together of all of the people who are open-minded and we won't put a list together of those who are more close-minded, <laughs> but I would love to be able to try and kind of encourage photographers to move forward. And one of the things I I increasingly think about is talking to people who actually aren't in that game. They aren't playing that curation game. Maybe talk to people who are working with brands and see if they'll put on an exhibition of the work. Mm -hmm. Try and step outside of that, because I do think that you can very easily get chewed up by that machine. Well, and and I and I guess the move to self-publishing and the and the preponderance of self-publishing is, you know, uh, perhaps a good avenue, if not, you know, possibly an expensive avenue for people who don't want to play the gatekeeper game, you know, who want to get their work out there and um, put together in a professional way, hopefully, but that that doesn't need the blessing of somebody. Uh, in that in that gatekeeping role. But but I do think as a photographer reaching out to um, the gatekeepers, you should try to get a sense of which kind of gatekeeper you're talking to and then tailor your approach, because even after this conversation where I've been enlightened by some of the things you've said, I am probably not going to give a half an hour or 40 minutes to looking at a long video. Uh, a long write up and a um, hundred photographs that somebody sends me. You you might, and so people should know how to tailor their approach. 
Yeah, I, I think the, the difficulty, of course, is, and, and I, I, I don't want to sound like some kind of dreadful kind of cynic to all of this, but I think the big, <laughs> but I'm going to, I think the biggest problem is this fact that people just don't get back to you. You know, that not only is there a gatekeeper, but there's a the big steel wall that they put around themselves. And, you know, I've often, and, and, and for many years now, spoken out against paid for uh, portfolio reviews as being the only way in which you get to see these people. Uh, and I know that's big business in America. Uh, it, it's kind of happened here, but not to such a, a big extent. But, you know, when you are paid to look at work, you should make yourself available and you should look at work. I think that for me is, is kind of where it begins and ends. And to me, you, you need to respond. You need to have the courtesy, even at a bare minimum, to say, I can't look at your work now. Reapproach me in 30 days. And that takes five seconds. I certainly, as, as a creative person who does send pitches of various kinds to people, always appreciate just even just saying, I can't look at it now. Well, I'm sure that both of us get ignored quite regularly. I know I do. Well, I know I do as well, which is probably a good place to end, end our first conversation. Well, thank you so much, Grant. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bill. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this first conversation. There'll be many more to come. Don't forget, of course, take care. <laughs>